How y'all doing today? Good, very good. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2 if you have your copy of God's Word. Um, I do want to share one other thing with you, a piece of information I got this week. I'm so, And by the way, don't, don't take this like I'm talking down to you. That's not what this is. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of y'all. Like, I really am. I'm super proud of this church. Um, this church in the middle of an interim, half, the, half of the, the year was spent in an interim, uh, and y'all are in the top 2%. Uh, in cooperative program giving in the state of Florida. 3,500 plus churches, you guys are in the top 2%. That is, that is, that is worthy of, of, of praise, not because of anything that we've done, but what God is doing with every dollar that goes into it, um, that goes to all the things that Matt said. There's too many to count. There's another uh, uh, area, uh, that uh, another metric. Uh, there is a state missions offering called the McGuire State Missions Offering. That offering is used every year to go directly towards church planting efforts in the state of Florida only, every dollar. There's no administrative uh, fees or costs or anything like that. Every dollar it goes towards um, church planting. So people that are planting churches, and, and by the way, I don't know if you've noticed since 2020, everybody wants to move to Florida. All right, which means that, and I know, yes, amen, and some people are like, oh me, I totally get it. Um, but, but in that, you know, we're not going to, you can't stop people from coming. I mean, people are going to come to, to a, a, a state that is free, all right, and they are going to come here. And, and in doing so, we need more churches around that are, that are spreading the true gospel, right? We need churches that are going to reach people that are coming because that is what the Great Commission is all about. 3,500 plus Southern Baptist churches in the state of Florida. Fort Caroline Baptist Church was number 11 in giving to the McGuire State Missions Offering for this year. That is massive. And so I want to thank you on behalf of Florida Baptist. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to give. I want to, I want to continue to encourage you to continue to do that uh, because the gospel is being spread through your faithfulness. And so, uh, so today's going to be a good day uh, as we continue uh, moving on uh, in this, uh, this, this narrative that we've had. We've, we've, we've kind of gotten, uh, kind of jumped right into the middle of the story as we've looked at Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah, cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Uh, he is a, he's an Israelite that has ascended uh, to uh, one of the highest places um, uh, in, in, um, in this government. And so in, in Babylon... And uh, the, the uh, Israelites have been, been released uh, out of bondage. They are sent home to a, a world, to a city that has been decimated when they were overrun. Nobody thought while they were in 70 years of captivity, nobody else was going to go in and rebuild the walls. And so when the people of God get home, they see that everything's been ransacked. Uh, everything was kind of as it was. Things, things had been plundered. Uh, the gates were still on fire. And I mean, just all kinds of mess. And the people of God just kind of, they started to try to to rebuild a little bit, and, uh, and and there were people that were all around. We're going to look at some of those people uh, today. They were around. They don't. They didn't particularly care for the fact that uh, that the Israelites were actually trying to better themselves and trying to put back all of the brokenness and try to live uh, a prosperous life again. And so they complained to King Artaxerxes, and King Artaxerxes goes, "Hey, listen, I don't need this kind of this kind of flack. I'm going to tell them to quit uh, rebuilding, and then they can kind of make do best as they can." Well, that is a problem, and Nehemiah was overcome with a burden over that problem. And he began to dream. God placed within him a dream to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to try to put things back so that God's people could be, could be ready to worship again. Because remember, when the walls are ransacked, the temple uh, was, was overrun. It was flattened. And so the people of God, there was nowhere for the, the presence of God to mingle, right? This isn't the New Testament church where the presence of God resides within each believer, 
All right, the presence, the manifest presence of God, maybe if, if you grew up Pentecostal, the Shekinah glory of God, right? You know, the Shekinah glory re- resided within the temple. And so God's people would go into the temple to commune with God. All of that was gone. This wasn't just a matter of a city being ransacked. The people of God had become accustomed to not communing with their God. It was very important for the walls to be rebuilt. And so Nehemiah had this burden to to rebuild the wall so that that his people could be in full fellowship uh, with God again. And so time passes. We talked about this last week. Time passes, and he's praying, he's fasting, he's waiting for the opportunity to go to the king, and he goes to the king, uh, and he says, says, I I can't stand this anymore. I'm getting these reports uh, that that my people are not able to to worship freely, that they're they're, they're living amidst all of this rubble. Will, Will you let me go? And inspect the walls. Let me, let me try to put in a, a plan in place to rebuild them. By the way, I'm going to need safe passage and a ton of wood. All right, so can, can you help me with that? And the king, uh, this pagan king just says, oh, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I trust you. I like you. Uh, you, know, you know, go and do what you need to do. Help your people. And so as we jump into the story today, Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem. And now the work begins. That dream, that thing that he had been, been dreaming about, that he had been spending time uh, just, just, just immersed in was finally starting to come to fruition. And we're going to see as that, in that moment, as his, his vision that God had given him begins to translate into reality when the future becomes the present. Now, here's what I know, which isn't much, by the way. Uh, what I know is that, that any time, this is today's big idea, any time God places uh, a, a desire um, for advancement in the hearts of believers... Satan will place as many obstacles in the way as he possibly can. He, so, I don't know if, if, if you know this. Man, maybe this may be, may be new, new news to you. Satan doesn't want God's kingdom to advance. He wants you to be uh, tied up. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be, be, uh, 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 you know, stay within the midst of mediocrity. Anytime God places a burden on the hearts of believers for advancement, Satan is going to try to get in the way. He wants to keep the Lord's work from being done. Now, church, if you don't hear another thing I say for the next 30 plus minutes, hear this. It's great to have a vision. It's great to be excited about what God is doing. It's great when God puts a a desire within your heart. But vision without commitment is nothing more than a dream. At some point, the vision that God places within you must translate to dirty hands as you get to work. So let's look at how Nehemiah gets to work today. Let's start reading in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read verses 9 through 20 for context. We're going to really spend our time uh, between verses 11 and following today. He says, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king, remember, had written letters to them, granting them safe passage, granting them um, timber uh, from the the forest to be able to rebuild the walls. All right. He says, says, I gave them the letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. 
And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for, uh, to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring, to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the, and the officials did not know where I had gone or, where I, or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work." There's a reason for that, right? We're going we're gonna to unpack that reason a little bit, and maybe that'll encourage you a little bit today. Uh, let's start, keep reading in verse 17. He said, then I said to them, yeah, you, you see the trouble we're in, right? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us b- uh, build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when, Sabalit, I'm sorry, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Let me tell you, if you're going to underline anything, I try to get you to do that at least one time uh, every week. Underline that that statement, because that is is the crux of this whole thing. He says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. There are three inescapable truths as we transition from vision to reality. Now, this church has a vision. You have, have, sh- have shared this vision. You've shared it with me. It's on your website. It's on your Facebook page. It is, it is to passionately reach people, to love on this community, to disciple the believers, to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus. That's a paraphrase, but that is essentially what it is. Essentially, your vision statement is the Great Commission. But you also have, have a mission that goes along with it, core values that undergird uh, those, that vision so that you might know exactly how you're going to reach the lost. But it's great, and you can sit around in rooms like this, and you, you can go, I mean, let's just do a straw poll today. Uh, if you're on the online family, if you would like, uh, feel free to, uh, to raise your hand. I won't see it. Jesus will. That's all that matters, okay? Um, but if you're in the room, I want you to raise your hand. If you, if you think it is critical for Fort Caroline Baptist Baptist Church to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus, would you raise your hand? Okay, good. All right, very good. You can put your hands down. By the way, it was nearly unanimous, okay? All right, so actually it probably was unanimous. So I didn't, I didn't count. It was just a straw poll. So, all right, so, so it, it is critical, right? We, are, we, are all, we, we all know that, that reaching the lost with the gospel is very important. God has placed a passion for reaching the lost in, in, your, uh, uh, in your bodies, in your, your heart, but there comes a point, and it's great to sit around rooms like this and amen and, and uh, to get all excited and raise your hand. I think we should reach the lost. It's easy. Well, let me go back. Talk is cheap. Can I get an amen on that today? Talk is cheap, isn't it? It's easy to say the words. But when it comes time to put your money and your time and your effort and your energy where your mouth is, you see who is really committed to the vision and who just likes to talk. 
Vision without commitment is nothing more than a dream. So what we find in this passage, there are three inescapable truths as we transition from vision to reality. Number one, uh, implementing vision requires discretion in the planning. Implementing vision requires discretion in the planning. Here's what I've learned. In in 15 years of full-time ministry, almost 10 years of, of being a lead pastor, here's what I've learned. God very rarely, if ever, and it's never happened to me, it may have happened to like Billy Graham or somebody like that, it has never happened to me, where God just gives you the entire vision right in the front and says, here it is, this is how I want you to do it, go to it. I wish. I, wouldn't that be nice? Like where God says, this is how I want you to do it. God's never really done that to me. God isn't, and, 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 and I think if Nehemiah went to the Israelites and shared with them the, the dream that has a few holes in it, because by the way, God gives space for faith, right? We're, we're, can I be honest with you in the love of Jesus today? Every, every detail of what God's doing really ain't your business. There comes a point when God withholds some things that, that are for your good, that you don't know everything, so that you might trust him in the spaces of uncertainty. Okay, all right, so, so if God would have, or if Nehemiah would have shared his dream with the Israelites, it would have been this incomplete vision. And so and the problem, here's what I've learned pastoring Southern Baptist churches. If you give a group of Southern Baptists an incomplete vision, many times they will leave the room and go to the parking lot or they'll go to the hallways and they'll fill in the gaps of the vision themselves. And then all kinds of weird breaks. I love y'all, but man, man Baptists are weird sometimes. <laughs> like, like we're all gonna, because di- we're all different and have our own, like if, if you wanna know if we're all different, all you need to do is look around and see how y'all are dressed. Y'all are all dressed very nicely, but we're not uniform. We all have different ideas of what fashion looks like. All right, we're all different. And so if we were to leave this room and with an incomplete vision, then there's no telling what we'll come up with. And many times when we fill in the gaps that God gives us with our own desires, our preferences are injected into it. And sometimes those preferences are opposed, not maybe consciously, but are generally, can be opposed to what the Lord desires. Look at verse 12. Nehemiah knew this. So look at what he did in verse 12. He goes and he starts to, to ride out. He, he, he said, uh, he says, I set out. I didn't tell anyone um, uh, what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. He wasn't ready yet. He had to inspect. There was a careful planning phase that needed to happen. I mean, I would love it if we could just say, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a capital funds campaign today. We're this building plan that we have. I kind of want to build a building in the back of the, in the, back of the, the, the property. I want to build a building. I don't really know what it looks like, but I I just trust that God, that as we just start getting brick masons and we start getting like woodworkers and carpenters together, it's just going to turn out great. That's an awful idea. So what does Nehemiah do? He sets out at night 
when nobody can see him. He didn't take anybody with just a couple of his most trusted confidants. They don't even take animals who are going to make noise. He only takes the, the, the animal that he's riding, and they go out and they begin to inspect the walls. So he took the vision that God gave him all the way back uh, in, in, in Iraq, right, in Babylon, and, and he, he takes that vision, that dream, that picture that he got, and he begins to, to fill in those gaps with the reality of what the walls look like. He did the secret reconnaissance. He wasn't ready to share everything yet. Look at verse 13. He says, I went out and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem. That, that word inspected um, in the Hebrew uh, is, is a, analogous to, um, to a doctor that is inspecting a wound. Okay, let me tell you what I don't want. You know, you know what the scariest thing is when you go to the ER, and I, I've had this, where uh, I cut my, uh, c- cut my hand open. I was nine years old. Uh, was, uh, we were playing hide and seek um, in my front yard and, and my, my garage door. Back in the day, garage doors used to have plate glass windows in them. You know, so you let a, let a little bit of light in. Well, base, my, our home base was my garage door. My buddy was about to tag me. I was actually slimmer and faster back when I was nine. Uh, and, and, and I reached out. I'm straining for the garage door to tag the base. And I look back. And when I look back, as Ryan is about to tag me, my hand went up and went right through the plate glass window. And I pulled it out. And I, you can't see it on, on here, but I have, a, I have about a, about a three-inch scar on my hand. I actually nicked this vein that runs, runs in your wrist. I'm gushing. It's all kinds of fun. Nine-year-old, I'm like, this is awesome, right? Yes, I'm getting weaker. And, um, and so we had to go and I had to get my first set of stitches. And the guy that came in, the doctor was so kind. Uh, we were like, how long have you been doing this? And he goes, oh, it's my first day. I go, oh, <laughs> What? Now, he was joking. He had been doing this for years. I'm like, I'm like, you have way too much gray for this to be your first day. And he stitched me up great. He took great care of my wound. And actually, you can even see where the stitches went in. You don't want a doctor who is going to go in and just hack around until he fixes whatever's wrong. You want a doctor who is going to inspect the wound, who's going to clean it out, who's going to disinfect it, and who is going to, to, to stitch these perfectly, perfect little laces so that your body will heal the way it's supposed to. If Nehemiah had gone in and just said, God, given me a dream, let's build, baby, with no care for the planning, there's no telling what they would have ended up with. Church, the vision that God has given us is big enough that we should take what he gives us and be as careful to inspect as we can, to take good care of it because God has entrusted us with the vision. So Nehemiah inspects the walls. He needed to know what part of the foundation was usable, what needed to be torn down and be rebuilt from scratch. So skip down to verse 16. It says, and the officials did not know where I had gone and what I was doing. And I had not yet told anybody, the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. After inspecting the walls and the gates and getting the firsthand knowledge, he began to merge that abstract vision with the reality that he had in the, of the situation. And from that recon, he began to formulate a plan. 
I was 30 years old, and I was about to step into my first lead pastorate. And I was at First Baptist Church of Russellville, Alabama, a little town kind of up about 30 miles from Tennessee, about 25 miles uh, from Mississippi, right in the corner of northwest corner of Alabama. And I, I was young enough that I thought I had all the answers, and I thought the lead pastor should have all the answers. So I tried to have all the answers when I got grilled by the church. Not grilled. They asked me some good questions. Uh, one of the questions that one of the senior adults asked me, um, she, said, she said, what is your vision for First Baptist Russellville? I had been in Russellville for a solid 18 hours at this point. I had no idea. And so I stood there and I thought, I go, man, I really should have the answer. And so I looked at her and I said, I don't know. I just got here. Like, if that's the crux, if that's what it means for me to be your pastor, I, I, I guess I'm not the guy. Like, I don't know. The thing is, your next pastor is going to come in and he's going to have bits and pieces of, 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 of this vision that God's already given him. But he's not going to know how to proceed until he gets here, sits in his office, and sees the opportunities that Fort Caroline Baptist Church has to reach the lost in this area. You don't want a guy that's going to come in and say, I've got a 10-step plan today, let's do it. He doesn't know. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I, and I know there's some of y'all that say, Patrick thinks that we're just this broken down church. Then he, he's compared Fort Caroline Baptist to the broken walls of Jerusalem. I never did like that guy. He yells too much. I never liked him anyway. Family, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. Quite the contrary. I've actually had conversations. You know, people know that I'm the interim here. And so they think that they can, get, they can steal some information from me. So they call me and they ask me. I've had several that have called me and have asked before they submitted their resumes to Vanderblomen. And they've asked me, what do you know about the church? I, all I really told them was what Pastor Ricky told me back in June of last year. It's a healthy church with a beautiful people that is waiting for the right man to come alongside of them and win this community for the glory of God. I love y'all. Y'all ain't perfect. Sorry to burst the bubble. But I've been in a lot of churches. And this church is super healthy. But there's always work to be done. And there's a planning phase that goes into that. There's no chance, zero. You can, you can look through your chances that the next pastor is going to come in and say, things are perfect here. Let's just not, let's not change a thing. So if you're, if you're averse to change, sorry. Things are always changing. The next pastor is going to come in with a vision. And church, I love you, but you have to let that man lead. You gotta, if God called him here, you've got to come alongside of him. And you may not know everything that he's doing from the moment that he gets here, but God's not going to bring him here if he doesn't love you. His spiritual authority that he has comes from God, not from any vote that you guys take. And if you struggle with that, I want to offer you an anonymous quote. I wish I knew who said it. I would love to hug them. Because in the, in the darkest times of my life, it has given me the greatest 
encouragement, and it's this. Nothing touches our lives that hasn't first penetrated God's heart and passed through his loving hand. God is sovereign over all, including your next pastor. He likely will come in. He's going to listen a lot in the first few months. He's going to see what's going on. And then he's going to ask God to merge the dream and the vision he's already given, received from God with the reality of the situation on the ground here. And then he's going to encourage you to unbuckle your pew belt, or your chair belt, I guess, these days. Pew belt's an old saying. And get up and get your hands dirty. Implementing vision requires planning, requires discretion. But implementing vision also requires decisiveness in implementation. Look at verse 17. So then I said to them, you, you see the trouble we're now in, right? You see, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Nehemiah begins to speak to the people. He begins to share with them the vision. He, he sees these he's ridden around, right, in his, on his, his donkey. And he has seen what's going on. He's seen firsthand the damage. And he pulls no punches. He didn't yell at them. He didn't deride them. He didn't try to isolate them. He says, look at, look at the pronouns. Pronouns in our culture are so important right now. Look at the pronouns. He said, you see the trouble we are in. How easy it would have been to, to say, Man, I see the trouble y'all are in. Good luck. He took ownership. Your troubles, your struggles are my struggles. He said, you see the trouble we're in. Nehemiah saw it, but he needed them to see it too. They'd been walking around the rubble for years. They were just okay with it. A sense of urgency most of the time leads to action. Your next pastor is going to come in and he is going to point out, and it may hurt folks, I, I, you know, nobody likes to be told that their, their house ain't perfect. But your pastor is going to come in with a set of fresh eyes and he's going to see the work that needs to be done. And look at verse 18. After Nehemiah comes in and tells them, y'all are broken down, we got to fix this. Look at the end of verse 18. He says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Before I took my first lead pastor in Russellville 10 years ago, I asked an older pastor, an older guy, uh, if he had any advice in leading a church. I was a sponge. I had, can I tell y'all? I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I was just sort of like, like, my name is on the big door, okay? I'm excited. And so I asked this older pastor, I said, I said is, there anything, um, is there anything you can tell me, like, to help me in my first few months? He said, he responded, I'll never forget it. He said, son, faith can move mountains, but don't be surprised when God hands you a shovel. There comes a point when we pray and 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 pray. But when the time comes to move, we have to, in faith, grab our shovel, get our hands dirty and get busy. So often we, at least I do, I my, my general prayer in the mornings is, God, I want to know you more. God, show me something else. Show me something different. Show, show me, show me a, a bit of your faithfulness that I've never seen before. I'm, I'm hungry for it. Oswald Chambers once said that God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you know already. Nehemiah led a previously downtrodden, apathetic people to rally around the vision that God had given him to secure his people. 
Church, there's gonna come a day when we gotta get up out of the pews and start working. You are all gifted in different places, different ministries, different passions, these things within the church. Maybe, maybe even God is building up a, a desire within you and you've never felt it before, but God is desiring, he is putting on your heart a particular people group. Maybe it's people in Haiti or maybe it's people in Ecuador where we all have, you'll already have partnerships or maybe God has placed an unengaged, unreached people group. And God may be calling you into missions and you don't know what that feels like, but you know that he's stirring within you in some way. Maybe God is placing a desire within you for somebody across the world. And God is leading you to sell every bit of clothing and possession you own and to go live amongst those people to share the gospel. Maybe you drive by on your way to church. Uh, we do. I mean, we, we come all the way from Clay County. We drive by churches that COVID, because of COVID, have closed their doors, have locked the doors. Maybe God has given you a passion. Maybe you live in one of those neighborhoods where one of those churches is closed. And God has placed a desire within you to plant a church out of this church in that neighborhood to revitalize the spiritual condition of a particular neighborhood. God's giving you a desire. Implementing vision requires decisiveness as you implement. But implementing vision finally today requires dedication and the adversity. Running out of time, and I, I want to I camp out here for just a few minutes. So you had three people. You had, you had Sanballat. He was the governor of Samaria to the north of Jerusalem. right? You had Tobiah. He ruled the Ammonites to the east of Jerusalem. Or I guess for you to be this way. The east of, of, of Jerusalem. You had Geshem, who was the, the, the leader of the Arabs to the south. The, to the west of Israel was all the Mediterranean Sea. So they were surrounded by people who had every political reason for, to, to maintain the instability of the Israelites. And these are the guys that are standing there going, going wait a minute, do you, are you sure you want to rebuild? Are, 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 you, are you sure? Because remember what the king said. The king said you weren't allowed to build. Now remember, Nehemiah had already gotten permission from the king. But Sanballat, Sanballat Tobiah, and Geshem, they didn't want them to know that. They wanted to, to plant that seed of doubt that something bad was going to happen if they followed God's will. The condition of the Jews made no, uh, uh, mattered not one bit to these men. They cared about their condition, their people, their purposes. You know what I found out in church work? I found that naysayers around the church to be very similar. In many cases, they don't care about the church. They care about getting their way so that their agenda can be accomplished regardless of the collateral damage it may cause. And unfortunately, because of their last name, because of their position, because of the influence that they have over others, the church allows itself to be paralyzed from accomplishing its God-given vision because of what someone might say, what someone might do, who might leave, who might withhold their tithe, whatever it happens to be. And we become so focused on the created that we take our eyes off the creator. That happens, doesn't it? Remember when Peter was walking out to Jesus in Matthew chapter 14? Jesus calls Peter out on the water and Peter's walking. He's focusing on Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. 
He said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Church, the moment that we allow the work of Christ to be altered by someone or something around us is the moment that we take our eyes off of Jesus, the creator, and become focused on the things that are part of the created order. These three stooges in verse 19 remind the people of the consequences of their actions, rebellion against the king, even though Nehemiah already had position. He already had permission to do that. That's what Satan does. Satan takes that which is true and doesn't completely unravel it. Right? He's the father of lies. He's the prince of this world. But he takes the truth and he just skews it. He twists it ever so slightly so it still sounds logical. His desire is to keep us within the quicksand of apathy and paralysis. Remember in, in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent's talking to Eve? Remember, he didn't come in and say, you should eat from the tree you're not allowed to eat of. No, what is he, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Look at what he says, the serpent says to Eve. Did God actually say that? Did God actually say you could, eat, you know, that you could not eat of, of any tree in the garden? No, God said you can eat of any tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan didn't tempt uh, Eve with the fruit. He tempted her with the words. Did God actually say these things? And so Satan does that in our society. He tries to twist things to make them seem like God approves. Because, because I mean, the greatest argument that we find for sin in our world is God just wants me to be happy. He does. But he wants you to be happy within the confines of holiness. Verse 20. Nehemiah reminded the Jews that the God of heaven will make us prosper. Not the king, not his letters, not his influence. The real king, the God of heaven, the one who led them out of Egypt, the one who led them through the desert, the one who led them across the Jordan, the one who gave them the very, the very land that their feet stood upon. He, God, would give them the ultimate victory. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, understand this. Satan is a defeated foe. C.S. Lewis once said that on the back of Satan's neck is a nail-scarred footprint. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Satan wants you to think it's okay to sit back, to be comfortable, to pat yourselves on the back for all the good things you've done over the years. Spend your time looking backward. If all, if all you did, church, it was spend your time looking back, you wouldn't be able to look forward and see all the great things God has for you. And sometimes Satan will use the still soft voice or loud voice of the naysayers to say, you can't do this, you shouldn't do it. The blowback will be too big. We must be dedicated, church, to the advancement of Jesus, no matter the consequences. For many of us, our lives are a vapor. All of us, our lives are nothing more of a vapor. And we are here for such a very 
limited amount of time. I, I want to show you an illustration, then we'll be done. Dane, I'm walking. You're cameraing me. You told me I have to give you notice when I walk out of the camera view. So here, this is me giving you notice. <laughs> awesome. Al? Al, would you, would you just walk down that, that walkway? I want to I wanna, wanna talk about this rope. This is, she will trip. I, it's coming. I love my wife. This is 50 feet worth of rope. I want you, is that only 50 feet? That's 50 feet, okay. Um, I want you to think of this rope as your life. This is, this is your, your life from the moment of your conception to the moment that you spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. This, this is your life. This is what you live for. This is what you, you hope for. This is the dream that God has placed within you. This is what you spend your time on earth doing. Yet this piece is roughly how much of it you spend on earth. All of this is eternity. And yet we spend so much time focusing on this. Saving for retirement. Buying a house. Buying that boat. Spending our times in the world that is one day going to be burned up by fire and replaced with the kingdom of God. Yet we spend so much of our rope focusing on this when it's really all of this that matters. Everything we do, church, in this makes a difference here. All of this time that we're going to spend for all of eternity. Why would we ever let naysayers affect this? When it could spill into this. Church, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a cosmic battle that the Bible tells us we've already won. Every dollar you give stays here, but it impacts here. You are making an investment when you don't listen to the naysayers, when you trust the vision that God has given you, when you trust your pastors. With this, in God's grace, they will lead you to impact this for His glory and for our good. I'm so excited for you. As you look forward to this year and all the great things that God's going to do, let's build here that we might also build here for his glory and for our good. Don't listen to the naysayers. Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, victorious. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you and we praise you.
God, if there's somebody in this room today that doesn't know you as Savior, God, my prayer is that, God, they, they would see the depth of their sin, but God, even more so, the depth of your grace, and they would respond in faith, trusting you as Savior, trusting that you are enough, trusting that you, that you are greater than anything else in this world, that little bit of world that we have for such a short amount of time offers, and that, Father, they would place their faith and their trust in you, that, that their rope would become so much greater as they inherit the kingdom of God. Father, as we leave today, may we leave passioned and emboldened to do the work that you've given us to do for your glory and for our good. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.